warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Britannia, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Good morning, happy Christmas everybody, Scott here with Stephen. Good morning, happy Christmas sir. And same to you and to all our <laughs> dear and valued listeners. All, all two of them. Um, yes, <laughs> both of them. This yeah. is this is going to be a wee bit strange because we've got a backlog of about six or seven episodes and this one pretty much is going to go out the week after we record it. Which is a, a novelty. It's it's absolutely um, out of order, really, um, <laughs> in in more than one sense. And uh, yeah, bit bit odd that you know last year I couldn't um, make it and Tony was on, and then um, this year Tony can't make it and, oh, and I'm on. So you seem to be um, topping and tailing there, don't you? Of course, so, I forgot that. Yeah. Um, talk- if we can get both of us next year, that's the aim. That is the aim to get all of us in the in the same recording studio at the same time. Um, the dream team. The dream team. Exactly. I was I was looking at um, I was recording. No, let's start again. I was. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing? What was I doing? What, what were you doing? It was only with a hint of professionalism. <laughs> I was editing. That's the word I was looking oh. for. I was, <laughs> I was editing the Gregory's Girl episode uh, yesterday, just just to give an example of how sort of in advance we are, even though. The next episode to go out is going to be Scott of the Antarctic. I promised a sneak preview for, for Morris in, in Australia. And it mentions the fact that I'm going off on holiday. Now, yes. how long ago was that? It was like September. That was September, <laughs> yes. That was uh, three, months, three months ago, I think yeah. that was, yeah. And that episode is, is likely to come out after this one, either just before or just after. So... Yeah, we we have a wee backlog. We've got enough to see us through sort of January, February, possibly. But we've sort of decided we're going to take a break for a couple of weeks after this recording, aren't we, and sort of reconvene. Just a, just a couple of weeks just to give you a chance to catch up, really. <laughs> Pretty much of all the other stuff I've got going. But luckily there's no other Stinking Paws episodes to edit at the moment. There's a Rainbow Valley that I'd like to get out this side of Christmas if I can. Well, I'd like you to get it out before Christmas Ooh. as well, the Rainbow Valley, because um, yeah, I'm missing missing that show. It's been a while. It's, it, it, I sort of made the uh, the decision that it's going to be sort of quarterly or you know four or five episodes a year because of the scale of them and the research that goes into them. So yeah, it's been a good three months since the Tammy Terrell episode. So let's see how we go. Obviously, the Christmas episode. Now, let's just talk British Christmas movies here because. I couldn't have I couldn't have this conversation with you last year as you've just reminded me because it was it was Tony sat in. They're a bit few and far between, or the qual the quality ones are a bit few and far between. Is this what we sort of decided that? Yeah, there's been a glut of them recently um, 
after there was the success um, in inverted commas um, <laughs> of uh, uh, Love Actually, there there seemed to be a glut of sort of almost became pantomimish and, and made for TV type ones yeah. with all the nativity. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, <laughs> and however many they got to, and other things like that. They they seem to just go down that sort of let's get a, a number of faces that you know of other things in together to just fill the screen for yeah. uh, a certain amount of time, rather than there being any quality to it. And previous to that, um, yes, you're right. It's um, few and far between. We were discussing it um, off air last weekend, and mm. um, it was it you know we were going to discuss things like the snowman and uh, <laughs> and Raymond Briggs's Father Christmas that were um there the, are some the, out there yeah you know and and also I think we've got to be a bit loose with what we define as a british movie which we have done previously you know would muppet's christmas carol count in your eyes yes it would yes okay yes yes <laughs> In case you're not getting that, yes. okay, that might be um, that might be. It's got, Michael, it's got Michael Caine in it. Yes, oh um, God. Yeah. You know the the Muppets really got their start on on British television before anywhere else in the in the Filmed world. over here, so, yeah, yeah. So we can claim them in that sense, even though Jim Henson was um, a United Statesian. Yes. Um, so and um, there's an, you know a number of the, the the rest of the cast are, are British as of well. Course. So so yes, absolutely. We're claiming uh, that. It's built, filmed mm. over here, and and yes, yeah, so it's ours. Basically, <laughs> but apart from that, I mean, there's been a couple of, like you said, the nativity movies are pretty much like extended TV specials that you'd normally see on, you know, ITV over Christmas. There was one with Jim Broadbent as Santa came out a couple of years ago. A couple of animated things. I think Arthur Christmas is a British animation, isn't it? I think. I think so. Yeah. 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 We, we'll find but, stuff, but. Mm. But dude, widen the definition of what's British and also what's what's the definition of a of a Christmas film? Yeah, uh, something that just happens at Christmas time. Around, you know, like like you know, a number of us do say that Die Hard is a Christmas film. Yeah. So we, as long as we're willing to be quite broad in our definitions, then um, I think we should be able to keep going for a couple of years. We'll find something. We will find something. I just didn't want to keep reviewing different versions of Christmas Carol because we were saying that the Albert Finney version of Scrooge again would count as yeah. a British movie. I think yeah, I think it's every other year is going to be a Scrooge <laughs> and then we're going to try and find something between. <laughs> Let's see how we go. Tonight's tonight's offering. Now you mentioned this to me. You went, I think I found something. I think yeah. I found something. And as soon as you mentioned it, I thought, oh yeah, I know that. I know that title, but I hadn't seen the film. Yeah, now, and I'd not seen it either. I'd just um happened on it and thought that's got a good cast it's got and, a christmas um, title definitely and it's a christmas title so um we'll go for that and so i hadn't seen it so i didn't um bring it up on on personal recommendation but but yes so i think we both went into it um blind in, in a sense yeah i mean i'll tell you my history with it as we get to the review in the meantime not too sure if there's a trailer out there for this, if there is, it's going to follow immediately. If not, we've got a lot of posh kids singing carols. See you in a second. <laughs> <laughs> Swarms of relations. Just listen. Merry 
would the holly bells look There you go, the, the holly and the ivy. <laughs> Poshest kid ever. The Holly and the Ivy, 1952, released in the UK December the 22nd, so ideal release date. Directed by George Moore O'Farrell, writer Anatole de Grunwald, who I believe was Russian, and starring. Now, when you read this cast list out, I'm thinking, hello, Hall of Fame, here we go. Ralph Richardson, Celia Johnson, Margaret Layton, a very young Denham Elliott. John Gregson's back in there is rapidly proving to be a Royal Britannia favourite. Uh, Hugh Williams. We've got the two aunts, Margaret Halston and Ma- Maureen Delaney. There's William Hartnell in there. And, and as you mentioned, Dandy Nichols, very briefly. Give us the synopsis and let's get cracking on the Christmas movie, mate. A heartwarming tale of an English minister and his family reunited at Christmas time. Their story includes a remembrance of their World War II trials. <laughs> is that it? The so, <laughs> um, so that's as far as we've got. But um, there, there, you know, there is secrets and lies going going on to some extent in, it's, in it's, this. It's a lot of posh people with a lot of posh problems, isn't it? It's, yes, it is really. <laughs> and and yeah. it's it's 1952, and the big reveal, the big sort of family secret isn't really that devastating to today's audience, is it? I mean, we will spoil this a wee bit, but there's this build-up to what this great family secret might be, and it's it's not really <laughs> that devastating at all, is it, when you look at it? No, I mean, I, I you know, it seemed to be that um, at one point that that gradually each one of the, the children particularly was re- revealing um, a secret that they were keeping from the, the father, and, um, you know, one more extreme than, than the other yeah but yeah i think that the one of the key parts to this film and as you say it's the timing of when it's actually been released or recorded and released is that it was sort of just immediately prior to when sort of a lot of social mores and attitudes um changed yes. with regard to a lot of issues and some of that is you know reflected in some of the kitchen sink stuff that we're um working our way through mm-hmm. at, um, at a speed. Yep. Well, speed don't mean quick, does it? Um, so, uh, uh, but this was, bef- you know, pre that, that era. Yeah. And showing that sort of where it was coming from as far as what the social mores were. But even at that stage, I think that the perceptions were more of that class of people. Yeah. And perhaps these, these problems wouldn't be um, the same if they were... If they were the working class people, I, I would imagine um, that they certainly wouldn't have the dilemma of um, whether to marry somebody before he goes off on a, a, an engineering expedition exactly. to um, South America. Exactly. Um, I mean, these these characters, you know, the John Gregson, he says he's only 34. You know, there's a thing in 1950s movies that everybody looked a lot older than what they were. You know, that's one of the things we've always commented well, on. Well, Celia Johnson was, um, she was in her mid-40s when she was playing this 30-year-old woman. 31, so, yeah, she's supposed to be. So she's yeah. meant to be 31 and she was, I think, 44. There you go. Well, that explains uh, that, so, that then. So, um, it's quite a unique family in a way. Not, I mean, these families obviously exist, but it's the family of a parson. So the head yes. of the household is, is a vicar. And it's a Christmas tradition that they all gather at his house every Christmas. Uh, the eldest daughter, Celia Johnson, is, is sort of looking after him, not because he's ill or anything, and he's not particularly frail or old, but she just hasn't been able to break away 
from that part of the family, whereas her younger sister, uh, is it Maureen? What's the younger sister? Margaret. Margaret um, has gone and made a life for herself in London as a fashion yeah, writer. The, yeah, and... there's, there's Celia Johnson. Uh, she's she's taken she's taken the the, the surrogate role of uh, of the the mother and housekeeper in that sense in, with the in the absence of their mother who's oh, died. Oh, yes, that's right. She's, she's, yeah, yeah, she's sort of doing all the, you know, sort of keeping house for her her father whose yeah. who mind is more upon the, you know, the church and um, the doing... The local parishioners, isn't it? It's all for his, yeah. all for the local community because you get the idea that it's quite a small sort of, very small sort of village, small town in, in Norfolk, isn't it, that the church plays quite a major role. We are in sort of community life. It's still that sort of era that the vicar is one of the most important people. Uh, but then he mentions that, doesn't he? And he says, you know, sometimes they only see me as a man that does weddings and, and funerals and signs the odd income tax form or something, doesn't he, he says. Yeah, again, I think this is where it's showing that it's on the cusp of change because I think if this, you know, this was set even 10 years earlier or, or anything just immediately prior to the war, yeah. you know, in 1938... And I think that establishment of, of the role of the, the the church minister in the local community was central, like you say. And there was the deference, and there was the um, you know them being being given that uh, sort of moral authority as well as um, other kind of authority. Whereas at this stage, it is the change where people are, are, are becoming more secular and mm. more interested in going to the cinema than going to um, to the church. Yeah, that's uh, that's part of the part of the plot line as well, isn't it? Again, in there and, and going, you know, the 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 pub and the church, pub and the, the cinema seem to be the focal point of, of of people's lives, not the church. And he's, yeah. you know, he mentions that, doesn't he? He mentions it. Yeah, he's sort of lamenting it. He says, um, "I can't, I can't go into a church." He said because it puts people on edge. You know, they they're not. They don't act naturally around me because I'm I'm a vicar. I'm a parson. Yeah. If I was to walk into a pub, I can't just go and have a pint. Yeah, you can't go into a pub. Yeah, I was thinking, why? Yes, you just said, why? Well, you can't go into a church. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you can't go. Yeah, you can't. You know, you can't go in there. And, and you know, they they do mention, you know, when a, a vicar gets on the, the train, gets into a train compartment, people like stop talking about what they were talking about. Absolutely, that this is the cusp of where that change is happening. The, yeah. the attitudes towards the clergy. And um, he's old school in that sense, but I don't, think, you know, he's not Helen Damnation type vicar in a way. He's, um, he's just sort of the the doddering old old fella. And he's been but, there a yes, few years as well, you know. You get the yes, yeah. He's, he's he's quite part of the you know the local scene, the community, because he mentions he's got a thousand sermons he found tucked away in his yeah. in his desk, which indicates he's been there at least ten years. He said, you know, just briefly. I mean first time watch for both of us I was aware of not exactly the movie but I was aware of the story because I'd listened to an audio play a BBC I think it was put on a production a few years ago and I'd listened to it four or five years ago possibly it might be one of those ones on four extra you know that they dug out of the vault and to be honest when you mentioned it I thought oh great you know great cast Christmas movie we found something but there was a sort of sense of dread as well because I remember this audio version being a bit dull there wasn't a lot going on you know and it's and I'm sort of watching this and I'm thinking it's going to be very evident that it's based on a play and it's going to be very stagey but what the director does and you know the, the director of photography they try to give it a bit more of a cinematic feel because they have this very bizarre beginning 
where letters are being delivered and you know it's quite almost comedic at the beginning yeah and dandy nichols with the cat yeah you know um, and, and this wasn't evident in in the stage version it wasn't evident in the audio version that i'd heard and all I can remember from the audio version was there was a lot of characters and it was quite difficult to, to follow and, and to see, you know, visually in your mind who was who. So obviously we've got this version, this celluloid version that makes that pit, you know, easy. That's fine. You can see these characters. But even then, I think there was a few too many people in this movie than, than was necessary. There was a couple, couple of superfluous yeah, characters, I've... possibly. Yeah, I think you're right there. There was what there were, you know, really the need for the the Godfather. Um, no, it's not in a mafia sense. No, but, no, no. The um, uncle, wasn't he? Yeah, that'd be an entirely different film. If that was. <laughs> well, imagine that. Suddenly, yeah, Marlon um, Brando turns no, up looking on the door. Like, yeah. <laughs> but the, that and and having, as you say, that the two aunts when you could have just had one. One of them being a spinster and the other one having been a widow. Uh, yeah. I can see where they're coming from. That one's saying one sort of has gone without love and the and throughout their entire life, and the other one has experienced it and realizes that it's not something you want to miss the opportunity for. Yeah. But they could have combined that into one character and and had you know a spinster say you know saying in their old age you know I wish I'd taken the opportunity when I had it rather than become a spinster and mm. that would have that would have been enough you would have only needed one character for that so I think you're right that there was a few extras floating around that maybe weren't weren't Sur- necessary surplus to requirements almost yeah yeah but it's an easy enough plot to follow visually I watched it this time around and I thought right I know where we're going with this this makes a lot more sense to me than the audio version did and it helps having people like Ralph Richardson, Celia Johnson and John Gregson on the screen, because we've admired them previously on Real Return. Not so much for um, Ralph Richardson, I'm not too sure, but definitely Celia no, Johnson and John no. Gregson, haven't we? You know, we've come across yeah. them and, 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 and love them both. But it does... Let's go through that now. Should we do the Hall of Fame? Yeah, yeah, let's have a look, because I, I know there's a lot of sort of fourth and fifth, possibly, but I don't know if anyone got yeah. inducted well, this John, time around. As you say, Ralph Richardson, is a, this is only his second appearance. Right. Because the only other time, obviously, is um, Time Bandits. Oh, of course. Yeah, I completely forgot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he was God. How can you forget How about can God? I forget God? Yeah. So he goes from goes from playing God to playing a vicar. He seems he's, to be getting further and further down the chain. He's been demoted. Uh, yeah, we'll, 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 he'll be a choir boy or something next time. We'll <laughs> <laughs> yeah, an incredibly posh one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then the we've also got um, we well, well, would have had um, a second appearance for Robert Fleming if, um, if <laughs> Blue Lamp. Um, I was gonna, uh, sorry, yeah. Blue, Blue Lamp. Blue Lamp. Um, yeah, that was yeah. a great episode. So, the Blue Lamp episode. So that was the the great episode. That um, anyway, <laughs> never um, to be seen. John again. Gregson. Mm. Though this is this is his uh, appearance in the Hall of Fame. This is his third appearance. Oh. So he's, he's got there. Um, so he was in the Lavender Hill mob and also obviously in um, Scott of the Antarctic. Yes, he was indeed. Which, which, you know, I know that's yet to be released. Um, I uh, think it may go out literally just before this one. So, um, yeah. so yeah, and I don't know Lavender Hill where that fits with either. So yeah, it might, new, be yeah. this, might be that this is actually his first appearance for um, the listener. It depends, But for recording purposes, this is his third. Yeah. Um, so and then we've got um, three people who are having their fourth appearance. Oh, go! Well, we've got uh, William Hartnell, as you've mentioned, of course, uh, who uh, previously been in Heavens Above, Carry On, Sergeant, and Hell Drivers. Yep. Um, Dandy Nichols. She's got in there on a fourth appearance for Dandy Already? Nichols again. Yeah. Go. Um, uh, Yield to the Night. Yeah. Uh, Georgie Girl. 
Oh, yeah. And she was also in Scott of the Antarctic, wasn't she? Wasn't she a chambermaid or something? Or she was. She was one of the one of the women that comes to the office to go and sort of give a donation. Oh, of, that's right. To the expedition, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then Celia Johnson, she's got her fourth appearance because obviously she was in Brief Encounter, in which we serve, and Miss um, Jean Brody. Brody. Yes. Wow. So. So there's not a massive cast, you see. So although there was some quite, you know, percentage-wise, that's, that's quite, a... <laughs> uh, quite good considering there was probably um, only. 10 people in the cast entirely and and that's you know the the, the number of repeat appearances we've got again um, again we say this every time it's it's, it's we're going to find this the Marianne Stones and the Cyril Chamberlains you know Dandy Nichols is the one that surprised me that we've got four out of 50, already, 50 yeah. 53 episodes of whatever this will work out to be she's appeared in four and hasn't starred in any she's just been there you know oh, yeah just as an extra that yeah. um, you know I don't know, silly moo. <laughs> silly moo, exactly. That's what everybody knows her for. So on the whole, what's your general impression of this this movie for, for enjoyment purposes? Because it's 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 definitely a play. It's it's you know, stage roots are completely evident despite the director's best efforts to try and jazz it up a wee bit with different locations and things. But I just sort of found it a little bit some of it was quite shoehorned in the way that characters would come in, say their part disappear and then it would go to another scene or whatever so it's it very difficult i think for them to to get over the stage roots i think yeah i, th- I think there's this element to it i agree with entirely mm. and i also agree that the you know i also think um that um uh, this is only an hour and 20 minutes long yeah and i think that if they'd given it an extra 15 20 minutes mm-hmm. then it, um, they could have um, expanded out how the ending came about because it felt yeah. the ending was a little bit rushed yeah and that sort of i think took this the, the momentousness of the revelations of the secrets um and then the way in which it was resolved in the last came 10 out minutes. and then it was just yeah. it was just sort of you know almost shrugged off as well that's all right and then the the the, the other side the other um, issue that was needing to be um, reconciled and, and sorted out. That one was done basically with a click of a finger as well, <laughs> and um, there, there wasn't. I, I didn't feel that there was the not the jeopardy or, or peril, but that I didn't feel there was that dramatic tension about we've been leading up to. It seems yeah. to just fizzle out in that sense, unfortunately. And I think you know it was well acted, and there was some some interesting lines in it as well. I think the script in that sense, dialogue-wise, there was, was a great was, was one. Good. Um, let me see if I can find it. There's the one about in the snow. She says something about being in... This is what I imagine it to be like, dying in the snow or something. Give me a second. Come here. Darling. Darling. I suppose people who fall asleep in the snow feel like this. They know they've got to keep awake, but just for a moment they give up the struggle because the snow's so warm. Never heard yet of anyone freezing to death from a kiss. No, but it's also pointless, isn't it? It gets us nowhere. I don't know about that. It's got a lot of people an awful long way before now. No, 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 David, please. Yeah, so there's, there's some great dialogue throughout this, but you're going to expect that because it's based on a play which yeah. usually has sort of quite 
decent writing, hopefully. It's quite a famous play, apparently. I mean, I'd never heard of this until I'd heard the audio version a few years ago. I mean, is it a story you're aware of? Is it something quite new to you, this? It's it, the thing that rings a bell about it, about a family coming together and their, the sort of the secrets coming out that had been kept from the sort of patriarch of the mm. family and them coming out in at the sort of uh, Christmas get-together. I don't know if I, that's just a generic sort of idea for a story that this Possibly, is... Possibly, you know, yeah. or, or whether this was the uh, early example of it and then other people have, have done something with it, I don't, don't know. But I definitely wasn't aware of this specifically, as a, although, you know, once I looked at it, I thought it rings a bell. But no, it, I wouldn't have been able to come up with it without it being um, put in front of me otherwise. So... Um, yeah. it, it's a new one to me, really, in yeah. that sense. So t- typical of a play, it's almost, it's one setting, it is this house, basically, once we get past this first five-minute opening of of the family travelling there. And, and you know, it's quite quite a few characters, as we say, and they're all sort of shoehorned into this one location. But there's no there's no inkling. I mean, the, the, the younger sister doesn't actually appear. She's just spoken of, isn't she, for the first 20, 30 minutes, possibly more. We don't even see her. No, yeah, it's not until we see her return to her London home, because mm. otherwise it's just the, the letter on the map that's yeah. unopened and stuff. Yeah. And, and, and if you weren't aware of the story, you think there's something really sinister going on, because the uncle is definitely covering up her absence for some reason. And if you didn't know, you'd think he probably murdered her or something because he prevents Ralph Richardson from calling her. And he says, no, no, she's got the flu, she'll be in bed, she doesn't want to be disturbed, things like that. And then she appears at the house. We're going to have to spoil this, I think, because I don't think it is that much of a shock when when we find out what's gone on. No, I don't think it's going to really alter anybody's um, enjoyment of the, the film. Yeah, I mean, the first revelation is the two sisters are sitting talking. Basically, what ha- what's happening is Celia Johnson is, is stuck at this house looking after her father, who's a vicar. But she's had a proposal of marriage from John Gregson, who's an engineer, wants to go travelling the world. Is it South America he wants to go, isn't it? It is, yeah. He's going to build um, is it airfields. That's it, yeah. And uh, she can't. She can't commit to that because, you know, devotion to the father and since mother died, you know, responsibilities and things like that. So when Margaret, the younger sister, turns up, she reveals the secret that that everyone was aware that she fell in love with an American that was stationed here in in the UK, one of the one of the um, GIs or whatever he was. But what nobody was fully aware of, he he died, didn't he, in a bombing raid or whatever it may have been. Yeah, they were aware that he died. Yeah, but they weren't aware that she was pregnant, mm-hmm. and she had a son who she called Simon, I believe, and. Didn't quite actually put him up for adoption, but an, another family were looking after it while she was working and, and keeping his whole existence secret. And then the next revelation is, OK, you're right, she, she's got a son. How old is he? Well, he would have been five in blah, 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 she said. And then we find out that the son died of, of meningitis. Yeah. So Margaret has been carrying on with this life in London as a fashion writer just concealing this whole heartbreak and grief, not only, you know, over the death of the, the man she loved, but also her son. You start thinking, oh, hang on a minute, that's a bit of a bit of a body blow there. You know, well, that is a revelation. But the one that's sort of signposted as being the big reveal is actually quite minor in, in today's, you know, eyes. 
She's a drinker. She's an alcoholic. Yes. But they make that out to be a bigger thing. Am, am, I, am, I, am I misreading this at all here? I, I think no, we... no, no, no. You're right. That you know the the big one should be the the concealed um, child, and then the death of the the, the child. Mm. That should be the 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 conceal, and then yeah. the fact that she she was drinking to cover it up. Yeah. Um. They should be they should be focusing focusing on the drinking really as being a, a problem, and then that should lead to the revelation of the, why she this, drinks. Um, yeah. Secret. Uh, yeah. Why she drinks? Yeah. But um, it seems to be that you know the, they get the revelation and then they're going, well, never mind that. How much are you drinking? <laughs> because you also get this scene where they set on Christmas Eve for, for the most part and Christmas morning. But Christmas Eve, Denham Elliott, who's the younger son, goes out with the younger daughter, supposedly to the cinema, which is what we sort of hinted at earlier, and they end up in the pub and come back come back tight. I don't know, that's a, that's a lovely old word for being tight. pissed. Yeah, he's come, come back a bit, bit tight. And <laughs> the shock on the aunt's face, because he says a few things that he shouldn't have said, uh, particularly to his father. Well, he, he says to the father, he, he opens the can of worms as saying that the secrets that they have of things that they can't say to him. Yeah. Which then leads him to then be going, right, well, what do I, what do I know? Which mm. then... That's where the other things come out, and I mean there is a there is a small subplot with the 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 son about you know he's got his army career and yeah. not wanted to go to university, and that the, the the father wants him to go to to the university and and stuff. So that that is kind of his secret that he's keeping, which isn't really momentous at all. It's no. it, that is that is even in <laughs> even in even in the film that kind of it, it kind of accepts that that one's not really a big secret, but he has to have something. That he's not telling him, but yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the, it's the two daughters that are the the focal point. But yeah, the the drinking is um, seen as been uh, an issue. Them getting tight on Christmas <laughs> Eve, which is a real you know a, a taboo, you know, and particularly to the the Irish aunt who is offended at anything from from ducks eggs to people having a drink. Basically, the, the duck egg thing. What was all that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean. For, can't understand an Irishman. Any anybody who's Irish, uh, not having a more liberal attitude to, uh, towards uh, uh, drink. But um, yeah, the, the 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 duck egg thing is mystifying. Well, to be honest, the, the reaction to it basically they they keep ducks in the back garden and they, they eat duck. And she said we've eaten duck eggs for twenty years. But the Irish aunt has read a newspaper report that. People die. They're poisonous, she says, don't they? Duck eggs are poisonous. People are dying in some some particular part of the country from eating duck eggs. And she overreacts to the extent that she's going to get on the next train and go home because the family eat duck eggs. Um, and, and then there's also the bit with the Irish aunt, Christmas Day itself, that she finds out that they've got goose instead of turkey, which convinces her to stay. Yeah, because she was <laughs> going to go home and the, the other aunt tries to say, well... You know, she's made all this effort and done all this food and 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 everything, and then you're just gonna go. It's you know a bit selfish, really. Basically, says to her, which it, you know it is, and um, and then she, when she finds out that it's it's not gonna turkey. be turkey, it's gonna be goose. Um, she decides to stay, and yeah, you're just thinking, well, sort off your cowboy, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm I'm glad that there was that distinction. With the two aunts, that one had an Irish accent, one had because it made it easier for me to understand that obviously 
the Irish one was the sister of Ralph Richardson because he had a very bad Irish accent. John Gregson had a very bad Scottish accent as well, if you know. Well, the thing is, the thing is, I don't understand why they did that with John Gregson. He's because he's an engineer. All engineers are Scottish. Well, yeah, well, let's just say because he's he's meant to be from the farm next door. Yes. Yes. So, but he was born near Aberdeen or something, wasn't he? I think he so, said. Yeah. Why? Why? Why do that? Why is it necessary to to make 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 anyway? It, it, there's, a, there's a Tony Hancock line in in the Blood Donor when he finds out that Doctor McTaggart, the guy that's taking his blood, is Scottish, and he says. Great engineers, the Scots, he says. You know, oh, McTaggart, yeah, he starts, you know, well, great engineers, the Scots. It's all the porridge. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of superfluous characters. Some of the behaviours of some of the characters are a bit baffling. The revelation isn't that devastating, but at the same time, I quite enjoyed it. I, 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 would, I was intrigued to find out where it was going to go. I'd completely forgotten what had happened in the audio version. So it was it was almost like a, a fresh sort of view to me. I just knew there was something coming up and I couldn't remember what it was. And as you say, if you had another 20 minutes, half an hour, just to make those characters a little bit more full-bodied, put a bit more flesh on them a little bit more, because I'd have liked to have known a little bit more about Denham Elliott as the son, a little bit more, you know, his motivations and his well, secret, you know. This is it, because when we first encounter him, he's snogging the face off some young lady and, yes. then, and climbing over a wall back into the barracks um, after dark, which <laughs> um, is where he, you know, he encounters um, the, the, the stereotypical sergeant. <laughs> William Hartnell of all people. Hartnell, <laughs> of all people. Um, and um, that's, that's kind of the, the... There could have been more to that. I mean, there could have been... The, um, that was another thing, it, though. It could have been what you know was it was that somebody who was um, below his class and that he yeah. was getting involved in that could have been his secret. And, but the, that whole um, that thing was been... sorry, but I'm just going to say before you go, that, that was that thing was resolved too quickly as well. He was brought up on a charge for climbing yeah. over the wall after the lights out, and they went through the whole process and they revoked his two day pass for Christmas. But then, just as the sergeant major's walking out, the you know the officer in charge changes his mind instantly and rips it up. It just all seemed very convenient. That it, it, yeah, unfortunately, these might be some of the bits that they've, they've done, which are they're extra, aren't they? To the play, they're they're, they're fleshing out mm. from the actual play, and um, perhaps they've not been done as well as uh, yeah, the, this is, the, mm. the rest of it. Yeah, because that that's not based on the source material, obviously. And the Dandy Nichols bit is a bit of com- comic relief, almost, even though she's on screen for what sixty seconds, bless her. But like yeah. yeah. So there's these extra bits that you can see have been put in. But you're right that the you know it, you were left a bit wanting with some of the yes uh, parrot development, um, and I normally wouldn't normally wouldn't be saying that there's um, suggesting anything should be remade really. But I think this this is ripe, or would have been ripe for a remake. I don't know whether it was remade as a TV film or anything like that, but they would have been open mm-hmm. to doing so where they could have developed a bit more. But also, uh, it's it's of its time as well because is that that's a lost bit. Yeah, yeah. You would have to if you were to make it even like you say, ten years later, because at this point in time, the teenager hasn't been invented yet, and rock and roll hasn't happened, and, and the revelation would have to be something a little bit more hard hitting. I think the secrets would have to be that more 
devastating, for want of a better phrase, if it were to be remade even five, ten years later. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, if you're right, yeah. yeah. It, it couldn't be made today because yep. the attitudes are completely different. Sensibilities well, are completely yeah, different. What would be the equivalent in, in this day and age, you know? It's... You couldn't have it because, it, as you said, the attitudes towards towards the clergy are completely different. For example, prime example that we spoke about earlier, when we left London all those years ago, and we, I, I was brought up in a village, very small village, and the local vicar used to go to the pub on Friday night, and he was part of the crowd, you know? It, it was completely different. It was the opposite to what they're saying here. And he became a friend of the family, you know, because he was he was down to earth. He wasn't your traditional dog collar wearing vicar that you normally see portrayed in this type of movie. So it would be difficult to remake this. You, it, yeah, possibly three or four years after this, or even set it back a few years before the war would have made it a little bit more interesting and a bit more revolutionary, you know. But uh, to, to it was very much of its time, you're right. Yeah, and I think the play must have been. You know, within I don't know two, three years um, of when this was was done as well, because otherwise that would have the been out of place. Mm, yeah. yeah, unfortunately, you know, there's there's bits where it could have been done better, despite there being the quality in the dialogue and the quality in the acting. Oh, yeah, uh, it's a great film in that it's, respect. It's, you know, it's, it's yeah, mm. it's 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 just left a little bit a, a little bit missed opportunity. I think he's put, perhaps I'd, I'd characterise it. There's a, yeah. There's that missed opportunity with regards to the character development and... Um... Well, most of the reviews that I've seen are all positive. It's described yeah. as charming, heartwarming and Christmassy. You can't deny it's a Christmas movie. It's filled throughout with Christmas carols and church bells and, and everything you associate with Christmas. Holly and the Ivy. That's another thing. Holly and the Ivy, any significance? Why Holly and the Ivy? They mentioned something about it being male and female because he's researching, isn't he, the history of Christmas traditions at some point. Yeah. Do you think there's any sort of significance to the... Apart from that? I don't want to go too I'm, deep because sometimes I'm, we don't like no, going too deep. I don't, I don't think it necessarily is. I think it was just that it was the, the title of a popular you know, Christmas hymn Carol, yeah, I really. saw somebody I speculate that the two aunts could be described as Holly and Ivy. One's quite prickly, and the other one, you know, a bit more mild mannered. But uh-huh. that's not the reason for it, is it? But doesn't seem so. No, no. Um, sort of summing up then, Christmas movie definitely ticks that box. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. British, almost well, definitely ticks that. Aching, box. Achingly <laughs> British. I love yeah. that phrase, achingly British. We've got to, we've got to patent that. I think, mate, achingly British. Recommended. I think I would. But with the proviso that you go in uh, not expecting it to be as hard-hitting and revelatory as is is led to believe, yeah? Yeah, it's not melodrama. Mm. It's in that sense. It's not that that intense and it's more gentle despite it trying to ramp up that in in a sense. Um, It's it's one that I would recommend um, people... Have a go at watching at yeah. least once, particularly if you like older cinema. I mean, there's some people who, who maybe aren't so keen on that and that automatically this would be an out for them. But um, I wouldn't say it's one that people necessarily need to go out the way for. No. But um, do take the opportunity to, to watch it if you do get the chance, um, mm-hmm. particularly with it only being an hour and 20 minutes long. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you're not really giving up a, a massive chunk of, of your time in order to have the experience of it. And I think it's, it is worth seeing. 
So no, no denigration there. Just yeah, um, especially if, 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 like us, we've sort of discovered the joys of John Gregson and Celia Johnson over the past few months. You yeah. know, the, we were aware of them, but we didn't re- realise how great they were. And this is great to have them both in a movie together, As, along with a very young Denham Elliott. We haven't really mentioned him, but I think he's great because we, we always picture Denham Elliott. Funny enough, yesterday uh, evening after watching this, I watched uh, Trading Places. When oh, we, when he no, played, that's, <laughs> that's another Christmas movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why I put it on. They see it as Christmas, yeah. but it is. And he's playing um, the butler, isn't he? And he's, um... But he... he... In both of those films, mm-hmm. he he shows he's almost his, his special party trick as an actor, mm-hmm. which is playing um, drunk badly. Drunk, yeah, <laughs> playing a drunk, um, and uh, it's it, it's interesting just to see it and just go. That's that's the same performance. It's, uh, um, yeah, and it wasn't planned. I've, I've just happened to put Trading Places on. So, oh, that's Christmassy. And, oh, Denim Elliott's in it as well. You know, so whatever that was, 35 years apart, um, 30 years apart. It's interesting to see him. I've only given it three out of five on Letterboxd, which is passable. You know, it's okay. It wasn't one that I'm in any rush to watch again, but if Talking Pictures TV were showing it over Christmas next year and it just happened to be on, I would watch it. What about yourself, mate? It's not one to go and seek out on a big screen, is it? No, it's not. No, I would say, Jess, as, as you know, I said before, that the um, just keep an eye out for it, and if it's on give it a go because it doesn't take up too much of your time um but it's not one to to go out your way for um unless you're particular you know unless you're a particular sort of um completist with regards to sort of older british cinema like we can sometimes be i think if you're in our in our shoes then maybe um sort of make a bit more of a special effort but everybody else i'd just say just just catch it if you can because it's you'll get something out of the acting and the dialogue even if the the plot has a little bit um leaving you wanting yeah fair enough absolutely fair tell you what let's take a short break and we'll be back after this Okay, Stephen, next time, again, this is very strange because normally one of us will be announcing to the other their choice of movie for the next episode. It's already recorded. We recorded this, as I say, back in September and it was your choice for me and it's Gregory's Girl will be the next episode. Can you remember actually recording that? Uh, (laughs) Vaguely. um, (laughs) It's... it's, uh, I think, you know, I was a much younger man then. You was, yeah, <laughs> yeah, much less troubles, mate, yeah. I listened to it yesterday because, I say, I was editing it. Um, you're not too bad in it, actually. You're OK. Oh, well, that's <laughs> nice for a change. <laughs> so we've got that hopefully before the end of the year. If not, it'll probably be our first episode in the new year. We've got six or seven already recorded. We've got, I'm, I'm lost as to where we are and what's done and what's not done at the moment, mate, to be honest. So let's just keep cracking away every week as we do um, Sunday mornings, just recording Real Britannia. Yep, I'm uh, happy to do that. If, and hopefully the two listeners are, are both happy with that as well. I should sure they both are, yes. Um, <laughs> that leaves us with one last thing. That's to wish everybody a very happy Christmas. Absolutely. And a happy new year. And... Keep listening, Stephen. A Merry Christmas to yourself, sir, and I'll see you very soon. Same to you, mate. Take care. Take care. Absolute shower.
positive shot. Bon voyage. Good luck. Thank you. British end up, sir.